Hallelujah. Thanks, Josh. I'd rather listen to him sing than me preach. Amen. Thanks. <laughs> that was Fairman, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, gee. It's a real honor to be here this morning. I, at my request, a couple of years ago when we started coming over here, I said to the pastor, could I just stay anonymous for a while? I just, I just need to rest a little bit. And he honored that request, and I'm, I'm just so grateful. He is my buddy, my pal, amigo, chum, goomba, whatever you want to call it. And uh, it's an honor to stand here this morning to do my best to share with you what the Lord has laid on my heart. I want to talk a little bit this morning about the impartation or, if you will, the transference of the anointing of God. How many of you know that God does some really weird things? And on top of that, God uses some really weird people. <laughs> so if you're a little weird, bless God, he's probably getting ready to use you. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to look at verse 19. And I have to be done by 2 o'clock, right? Yeah, okay. I used to take my watch off and place it up when I was a young evangelist in my 20s. I'd take my watch off and I'd place it up here. You know what that means? Absolutely nothing. Yeah. My wife found a tape of me preaching. In 1975, I was preaching a youth revival in Northern California, where I was raised. And uh, she found it and immediately shared it with your pastor, which makes them co-conspirators in this crime. I tried to explain to them that I copyright everything I do and they needed to give that to me so I could destroy it. But uh, they wouldn't do it, so praise God anyway, huh? <laughs> First Kings chapter 19, verse 19, So Elijah went from there, and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He, meaning Elisha, was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. It's amazing to me... Who God uses to do what God wants done. It's amazing to me how God can take the goofiest thing. Say amen, shake. Okay. And use it for his glory. How God takes those things which are to the world left over. When we look at someone and say, that person's probably going to be successful, we think about, oh, they're tall, good-looking, they're smart, they're wealthy, they've got all the political connections they need. But when we see in the kingdom of God men and women who excel in the anointing that God's given them, usually it's someone who will tell you, 
Nobody in my hometown would ever believe this. What did Jesus say? I mean, God Almighty. And he says, man, he says, there's no honor in your homeland. Your hometown says, who is that? Because God normally chooses people who are not the people we would choose. Look at Elisha. Elisha wasn't a preacher. He had, there was an anointing that he was about to receive. A prophetic anointing. And yet he's out there. He's not a poor man. The Bible says he's got 12 yoke of oxen. This guy owns his own trucking company. And he's out there behind the 12th yoke of oxen. And he's plowing whose fields? His Whose oxen is he using? His oxen. Whose plows? His plows. On his land. He is a successful young man. He is a member of the community. And yet in the middle of his success, now watch this. In the middle of his success, God does something weird in his life. The other character in this play is this old prophet. We know all about old prophets, don't we? Yeah, we've lived with them. Yeah, you want to get your brains beat out, hang around an old prophet. That's who Elijah was. Elijah was this prophet who he kind of went back and forth. He never left God, but he just loved to get in the cave and complain. A little earlier in the book of 1 Kings, He's in the cave. Oh, he's crying out to God. Now, this guy has just called down fire from heaven and killed 600 priests of Baal. I mean, this guy's got his own show twice a week on TBN. He is the man with the plan for the clan. He is it on this earth. When he comes walking towards you, the kings run away from him. He's a cranky old man. He's about half bitter. He's the kind of guy that he really doesn't like people much. He's the kind of guy who says the only thing wrong with the church is all those people in it. And yet, he's the prophet of God. He's the man that when he speaks and says, Thus saith the Lord, God said it. I challenge you if God has given you a prophetic anointing. Only say what God says. If you come up with anything else or you want to get fancy with it or twist it around to your theology, shut up. Don't say it. Only say what God says. Whether for good or bad, God has given me a prophetic anointing. I'm not pastoral. Uh, pastor will tell you that. I, I, I sometimes I'm jealous of his pastoral anointing. I mean, man, this guy's a pastor. I mean, you look up pastor in a dictionary, it's got his picture. Amen? Yeah. I'm not even mentioned in the paragraph. But it's a, it, it is a blessing, but it's a terrible anointing to have. 
Because you have to tell the truth straight from the mouth of God. When I began as a young preacher 40 years ago, yeah, 1975, that's, that's 40 years. Wow, it's my anniversary. Oh, I've had God 40 years and my wife 30. I hope to have them both a couple more. Amen? But when I began, I began from whence I grew up. And in my family, in the, the, the Kennedy family, in our lineage, all the way back to as far as we can research, which is in, in the early 1500s, there has been a preacher in every generation for more than 500 years. Now, I don't know who started that, but sometimes I'd like to discuss it with them, see if they couldn't just mind their own business. The day I was born, my grandmother, who was a godly woman, prophesied and said, that boy will be a preacher. I want to see Grandma again one of these days. Say, by golly, Grandma, you know as much as I thought it, you're right. That's the kind of guy Elijah was. He was just this cranky old prophet. And he'd just as soon be by himself as be in a crowd. And here's Elisha, a farmer. How many of you know you have to have a certain mentality to be a successful farmer? You know, you got to learn, you got to know how to say, oh, well, that can wait till tomorrow to get fixed. So you got this wild eyed Elijah off in the distance. Elisha is plowing. He's just plowing. He's walking behind his oxen. He's probably just talking to God or talking to the oxen. Who knows what he's doing? But the Bible says all of a sudden this wild man runs out of the woods and he runs over to where Elijah is and he takes his coat off which is the symbol of his anointing as the prophet of God. And he takes his coat off and he throws it on the shoulders of Elisha. He throws it on his shoulders. Elisha don't know what to do. He don't know whether to fish or cut bait. He don't know. And yet something in that experience, that anointing of God, That thing that you feel when you feel it. That thing that you know, this is God. When that experience came upon him, it changed his life. You know, I was raised in a group that said, uh, experience is not important. Experience is not important. You can't go by your feelings. Well, how many of you know God has feelings? Yes, Pastor, we know. Amen. I just roll my own if only anybody help me. You know what I mean? Yeah. But so I didn't I didn't understand that the feelings God puts in us are for a purpose. And Elisha was that way. So the Bible says, though, so Elijah went and, and, and to him and he threw his cloak, the symbol of the anointing, the mantle, if you will, of God's prophet. And he threw it around him. 
And Elisha then left his oxen and he ran after Elijah. He didn't know what had just happened. But he knew something happened. And when something happens, we want to know what happened. Amen? So, so Elijah throws the symbol of his anointing onto him. Immediately, this young farmer senses for the first time in his life the anointing God has for him on his life. He senses the anointing in a way my friend Christian Harfouche calls it a double dose of the Holy Ghost. He's, he's, he has a feeling, he has a sense, he senses the power that is in his body as he wears this mantle. <coughs> Excuse me. If I die, my wife knows the rest of this message. <coughs> ah. It says, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. He said, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. And then I will come with you. Seems reasonable. Or doesn't that seem reasonable? But what's the cranky old prophet say? No. If you have time for your mom and daddy, I don't have time for you. Hello, somebody. Listen, can I tell you, sometimes you have to leave the comfort of home to get where God wants to take you. Yeah, yonder. You have to leave your comfort to get where God wants you to go. Because when you are in the... Man, this is good stuff. Shake, buy me a copy of this tape. (laughs) When you are in the midst of your anointing from God, That's all you want. It's all you want. I've known people that have been on drugs, on serious drugs, and they all say the same thing. The first time was the highest I ever got. And from there, I just kept trying to get back to that point, and it never works. You know why? Because the, the, the sensation cannot be duplicated after the first time. With the anointing of God, it's exactly the opposite. With the anointing of God, it gets more and more and more and more and more. It doesn't get less. God doesn't do less today than He did yesterday. I don't even know where I'm going with this, but that's okay, isn't it? Amen? The reason I enjoy this passage so much is because my spiritual mentor is is just an incredibly prophetic man. But he has always been to me exactly like Elijah is to Elisha. You you know him. He's just that kind of guy. He's a lot like your pastor, your, your, your mentor. And so here are the young man. Who now has experienced the anointing. He wants it. He wants it all. He wants more. Give me more, Lord. Give me more. So now that he's experienced, and he's ready, man. I mean, he's ready to get a tent and start preaching. And he says to the prophet, just give me a little bit. Let me go, you know, 
say goodbye to my mother and father. Let me go kiss my mother and father. So what's a cranky old prophet say to him? Go back where you came from. If you don't have time for me, I don't have time for you. What a wonderful pastoral thing to say to this brand new member of the prophet club. He said, let me kiss my mother and father goodbye and I'll go with you. Elijah replied, go back. What have I done to you? In other words, you're either going with me or you're not. I was complaining to my pastor one time about things weren't going the way I thought they ought to go. That I really thought God ought to pay a little more attention to what it was I wanted him to do for me. Now, I'm probably the only one that's had that experience, but I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. So my pastor and I are having a donut. Don't tell his wife, though, because he told me don't, don't let Sister C know that we were eating donuts. But we were having a donut, and I was lamenting how it just wasn't going like I thought it was supposed to go. And he said to me, with all the love of a father and a prophet, then why don't you just go back where you came from? I thought about that for a minute, and I thought, Pastor, I can't do that. He said, why not? I said, because they know I've been hanging out with you. (laughs) See, when I start hanging out with the prophets, the bunch I used to minister, they don't want me hanging around them anymore. They don't want me hanging around them. You know, I used to be able to say, I really sense this is what God is saying. But now I say, this is what God told me. There is a difference. There's a difference of being on the edges and being right in the middle of the battle. And that's what Elijah was trying to say to Elisha. Was, listen, this is no part-time thing. This is an all-or-nothing thing. And if you're going to receive the anointing of God that He has for your life, you must understand that unless you are willing to give everything, nothing you give will be good enough. Nothing! You give will be good enough. We saw in the in the the, the, the first service this morning about Abraham. And he went to sacrifice Isaac. He couldn't sacrifice a slave. He couldn't sacrifice a donkey. Why? Because that's not what God gave him. God gave him his son. <coughs> so God said, give him back to me. Amen? So the Bible says in verse 21, So Elisha left him and went back. And had a big time Texas barbecue. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat. And he gave it to the people. And they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his attendant. That's an interesting Hebrew word there. It's the word serat. And it means to, to minister or to, to serve. And so we see now that Elijah, Elisha has coupled himself to Elijah. He is now a part of who Elijah is. Now, if you will, turn to 1 Kings chapter 2, and we're going to look at 
This is five years later. Second Kings chapter two. And we're going to wander around all through that chapter. So so Second Kings chapter two. Five years later, for five years, Elisha has been serving the cranky old prophet. For five years, Elisha has been doing the prophet's laundry. For five years, he's been preparing his food. For five long years, he has given his life to ministering to the prophet of God. For five long years, everything he thinks about is what Elijah wants. Five long years. You ever get tired of waiting on God? Come on now, just tell the truth and shame the devil, my old buddy Johnny Cook used to say. Five years he waited. He waited five long years. So now we're at five years later. And we see that evidently it's common knowledge, it was on Fox News the night before, that this day was going to be the prophet Elijah's last day on the face of the earth. Everybody knew it. As we get a little further down in, we'll see, man, they even knew it over to seminary. They knew it. Watch this. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha, let me say that again, Elijah and, and Elisha were on their way to Gilgal. Now, I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I read the Bible, not to study, just to read and try and hear God, I miss what the Bible's trying to tell me because I'm ignorant of what the Bible, of, of places and things that the Bible is trying to point out to me. So I want to take just a little bit this morning. Oh, we're in good shape. And uh, talk about some of these places. Now look at verse 2. Elijah says to Elisha, here it comes. This, this poor Elisha, just every time he turns around, he, he just gets abused. Elijah says to Elisha, you stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. (laughs) Five years of washing this old prophet's underwear. Five years of feeding him meals and making them like he wants them, not how Elisha wants them. Five years of indentured servitude. And now everybody knows it's just about time for Elijah to leave this earth. And Elijah says to him, you stay here, I am going to Gilgal. Now I don't know about you, but I'd probably be a little offended by that. But let me tell you something else. If you're going to serve the man of God, you're going to get offended on a regular basis. Now watch, but Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, 
I will not leave you. My wife and I, in a couple months, will have been married 30 years. You can imagine what a joy that's been for her. (laughs) How we stayed married 30 years was we decided at the very beginning we weren't going to quit. I gave her plenty of opportunity to. You know, I did some really stupid stuff. But no, we decided we weren't going to do that. Elijah had decided, Elisha had decided he was going to stay with Elijah. Amen? He said, I will not leave you. So they went to Bethel. Now, Bethel is an important place in the Old Testament. The Jews who first read these scriptures, would have understood what Bethel was. That Bethel was the first campsite after they crossed the Jordan River. That Bethel was a, was the, I'm sorry, Bethel, Gilgal, was the the place that, Gilgal was also the campsite where when they besieged Jericho, they stayed at Gilgal. Gilgal was most importantly the place where the manna stopped. The place where, if you will, they had to feed themselves. That's where Gilgal was. Gilgal was a place to the Hebrews of extremely important beginnings. But Elisha said, you know, I'm I'm going with you. I'm not going to leave you. And then they went down to Bethel. Bethel, we all know, translated as the house of God. So they began a place of beginning, and they moved from that place of beginning to the house of God. There is some significance there, I think. Bethel is a place of dedication. It's where Abraham built a second altar. Bethel is also where Jacob had his ladder vision. Bethel meant something to the Hebrew people. Amen? Verse 4, Then Elijah said to him, They're in Bethel now. Elijah says to him, You stay here. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. Here we go again. A third time. Man, Elisha went with him. He went with him to to Gilgal, to the place of the beginnings. He went with him to the house of God. He had shown, he had proved, not by what he said, but by what he did, that he was in the right place. That he was the one who would become the prophet of God. And yet the old prophet says to him, why don't you just stay here? i I got business to do. You just hang out here. Well, Elijah wasn't going to do that because everybody knew that that's the day Elijah was going to die. Elisha's not going to leave him now. If Elisha was going to leave him, he would have left him the first week when he said, do this, do that, do this, do that. 
But he stayed with him. He wasn't going to leave him now. He said, where you go, I go. Amen? And as he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, he's reminding Elijah he's still alive. And as long as you live, I will not leave you. He had determined in his mind that he would see this thing through to the end. I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. We all know what Jericho is. Jericho was a place of victory. Jericho was was where the walls came down. Jericho was where they proved the trumpet is mightier than the sword. Verse 5, the company of prophets at Jericho, that, if you will, is the local seminary. The company of prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Do he know? He's hanging out with God's prophet. What do you figure? He doesn't know. But the, the seminary says, man, don't you know that God is going to take Elijah from here? Then Elijah, he said, yes, I know. And this version of the scripture says, but do not speak of it. But it's interesting if you look it up in the Hebrew. It's very declarative. And it says, yes, I know, but shut up. That's exactly what it says. Yes, I know, but shut up. Now watch this. As surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of prophets went and stood at a distance. Isn't it interesting how when God is doing a great move, that many will come and stand at a distance. The fire is not going to burn them way out there. The consuming fire of God it won't get you unless you get close enough. That's what God wants. But unfortunately, a good portion of the church in America doesn't want the fire of God. We don't want the fire of God. We just want the goodies. We went, we went all the way, if you will. We want all the charismatic foolishness. Your pastor and I were stunned this week when we read this article about a well-known ministry in Northern California who a lot of people are flocking to. And say that all kinds of stuff is going on up there. And this group has adopted a theology. I don't know if I can say it. It's called grave sucking. You want to hear something really weird? Hear this. They go and lay on the tombs of ancient, of people who have died long ago, like Spurgeon and some of the others, and lay on top of the tomb and expect that person's anointing to come off on them. 
And these guys are busting hell wide open, it seems like. Can you imagine? But that's not the fire of God. Because the fire of God is an all-consuming fire. See, the fire of God is real. The fire of God is true. And while people will run to something, my, my, my friend Christian calls them cruisomatics, because they cruise from one church to the other, looking for whatever's going on there. Oh, there's a prophet over here, so they go over there. Oh, there's healing over here, so they go over there. Oh, there's uh, discerning of spirits over here, so they run over there. They go from place to place to place to place. Now, I want to drop a little nugget in you today is if you won't stay where God planted you, God will never use you. Come on, somebody. He will never use you. You can cry out all you want. You can show Him your diplomas. Man, I got more of them than I could ever pay for. But it will not move God. Because... I probably never get invited back here, but that's that's okay. Alan still loves me. <laughs> Write this in your book. God is not interested in what you think. He's really not interested in what you want. Because he's interested in what you want when what you want is what he wants for you. I'm not sure I can. God is interested in what you want when what you want is what he wants for you. Somebody needs to receive that this morning. Somebody in this house this morning is standing at the edge of the fire of God. And you're trying not to go in that fire. You want to stand at the edge You want to be seen with the prophets? You want to lunch with the pastors? You want to hang out? You want to be close? But God wants you in the fire with the rest of us. Amen? So the 50 men from the seminary said, they're at a distance. They're not going to get close. And so they're up on a hill and look at at verse uh, uh, 8. So Elijah took his cloak, remember his cloak, his coat, the symbol of his anointing. He rolled it up and he struck the water with it. Now, if that's not weird, what is? He struck the water with it and and the Bible says the water divided to the right and to the left. Now, watch this. This is important. And the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Not the 52. If the 50 guys from the seminary had wanted to go to what's going on, they would have to swim over there. But they did not experience the miracle of the anointing of God because they did not want to get close to the anointing. They wanted to be respected for who they were. They were men who had more degrees than a thermometer. They were men educated way beyond their intelligence. That was a joke, by the way. You missed it. 
But they stayed on the mountain back where they could see what was going on, but they didn't have to risk God using them like He really wanted to. And the Bible says He took His cloak and He struck the water. He hit the water with it, and the water goes... And they walked across, not in the mud, but on dry ground. Somebody ought to shout right there. Listen, God's not going to ask you to walk through the mud. When God's using you, you are going to walk on dry land, somebody. You're not going to walk in the mud. So they go across on dry land. The 50 are up there on the hill. Now watch this. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me. What can I do for you before I am taken away? Five years. Five years of serving God's prophet. Five years of traveling with this cranky old man. And finally, after five years... Evidently, for five years, he has not shown any interest in what Elisha is going to do after he's gone. Five long years. And at the end of those five years, he says, tell me, what can I do for you? But only after he had been to Gilgal with him, only after he had traveled to Bethel with him, only after he had been to Jericho with him, only after he had stood by the prophet and not with the seminary bunch. He says, what can I do for you? Now, let me tell you, folks, Elisha knew the answer to that question. For five years, he'd been wanting the prophet to ask him that one question. For five years, he just wanted him to say, what can I do for you? For five years, it was about what Elijah wanted for Elijah. And now after all this time, when he has been truthful to the statement, I will never leave you or forsake you. After five years of this, he says to Elijah, son, what do you need? What do you want? Elisha responded to him with these words. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. That's that double dose of the Holy Ghost. Man, he didn't want what Elijah had, Pastor. He wanted twice what Elijah had. Unless we are willing to sacrifice what we want and lay what we want on the altar... And serve another man's vision. God will never give us what we want. This church is half full this morning of people who need to be doing more to serve God. Can I just share with you for a minute? There are things in this church, ministries in this church that need help. We're willing to come and sit in our, pew, in our chairs with our hands folded in front of us and listen to the preaching and listen to the music and get all the good stuff and then go home and come back next Sunday. Folks, that's not God's desire for your life. 
Can I just tell you God's desire for your life is for you to serve Him? It's not comfortable having to deal with those teenagers up in Genrev or whatever it is. But you know what my wife said to me? She said, Yvette needs help and I think I'm going to help her. I said, thank you, Jesus. You didn't ask me to do that. But there are ministries all over this church just like that. might not be teenagers. It might be something else. But, folks, God needs your help. This church needs your help. Your pastors need your help. It says in Ephesians 4.11 that the pastor's job is to equip us how to do the ministry. And that we are to go do it. Amen? Somebody needs to grab that vision. The only reason I'm preaching this morning is because your poor pastor's wore out from ministering all week. I mean, he's been to like, you know, two funerals and a wedding and God knows what else. I'm just telling you this because I love him. Volunteer. Well, I've never done that before. Well, that's okay. Elisha had never been the prophet of God before. But he's about to get there. Amen? Okay. I'm hurrying. So he wants a double dose of the Holy Ghost. He had spiritual ambition. You know, sometimes we want to be so, we want to be so pious. We want to be so religious that we say things like, well, I'll just, uh, uh, maybe you've not had this experience. I, My pastor said to me one time, he said, what do you want? And I I wanted to, you know, show him how humble I was. And I said, I'll take whatever God wants to give me. And he rebuked me. He said, God doesn't want to give you something. God wants to give you the desire of your heart. So, with Elisha... Elisha shared with him what he wanted. Elisha showed, listen, there's nothing wrong with having ambition. Now, we don't want to be prideful, amen? But there's a difference between pride and ambition. Pride is about me, ambition is about God. 1 Corinthians, Paul writes in in chapter 9, verse 24, Do you not know in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. But what do we do? We just kind of walk along hoping to finish up the marathon. Spiritually, that's what we do. But Paul says, run the ra- not only run the race, but you get out there and win that race. That is our job. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 12.31 and says, Eagerly desire the greatest gifts, and now I will show you the most excellent way. Chapter 14, verse 1 of the same book, he says, Follow the way of love and eagerly eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. So it is with you, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. See, when I was a young preacher, I thought that what I needed to be doing was to excel and build up myself. 
I wanted to be seen. I wanted to be acknowledged. I wanted to begin at the little pastorate I was in and work real hard and, and, and get, you know, moved up and moved up and moved up until someday I, I am the great pastor of a mega church. Hallelujah. Glory to me. Can I just share with you that wasn't God's plan for my life? God's plan for my life was to say what God told me to say, whether anybody liked it or not. That makes you an enemy to many people. Amen? Paul said to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. I was looking at my Bible here this morning. And I was just, my Bible has issues. I've looked at this part of my Bible before. Probably thousands of times. And I was just sitting there wondering, I wonder what other people's Bibles look like. I've seen lots of Bibles just like mine, Pastor. You probably have Bibles just like it, just wore out. But I just can't, I just can't get rid of it. Amen. Spiritual ambition is about having our patience and our sincerity tested. So Elijah says to him, you have asked a difficult thing. But if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, no. In other words, if you don't stick with this thing of God to the very end, He will not give you what you want. How do we get what we want from God? We want what God wants, and we're willing to do whatever it takes to get it. We're willing to be ridiculed. We're willing to be questioned. We're we're willing to, to have people talk about us and say, what's wrong with that guy? Now watch verse 11, quickly, and we're we're moving along. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a Holy Ghost hot rod, a chariot of fire, and a horse, horses of fire, appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this, and he cried out, Abba, Abba, Father, Father. Elijah had become his father, his spiritual father, if you will. He looked at him like he was his own father. And he cried out and he said, Father, Father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Now, how many of you know the story could end right here? But God is able. But my God is able. He cries out, Father, Father, and Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them apart. He showed that he was mourning the physical loss of the man that he had come to love, Elijah. Verse 13, here it is. 
He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan River. He picked up that cloak that Elijah had told him, if you'll hang with me till the end, son, God is going to give you what you want. And the Bible says that he picked up that cloak. Now remember, these 50 guys from the seminary are still up there on the hill. They can see everything that's going on. And he picks up that cloak from the old prophet. And he rolls it up. And he stands there by the river, holds it up as high as he can, and says, where now is the God of Elijah? And struck the water. And the Bible says the water went right and it went left. What was he saying? He was saying, God has fulfilled the promise. God has given me the double dose of the Holy Ghost. God has given me the anointing, the prophetic anointing that he had been promised by Elijah. Verse 15, the company of prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. Folks, they changed their tune in a hurry. In fact, they went from being concerned for his ministry life to wanting to hang out with him because there was something special about him. Notice when he struck the water, he didn't wait for the approval of the crowd. He struck the water not out of disrespect or showmanship, but it was a plea for God to to confirm his succession. The company of prophets from Jericho who were there watching said the spirit of Elijah is on him. They changed their tunes. They were Johnny come lately. And they went to meet him and bowed on the ground before him. Do you really want the anointing of God? That's a fair question. Lots of folks, if they were honest, would say, no. I don't want that. I don't want to be weird like those people are weird. Listen, if you can't handle somebody calling you weird, you can't handle what God's going to do with you. Because God says my ways are not man's ways, that my ways are higher. God will do what God does. Amen? God will never harm us, but God will allow tests to come. Amen? So the question this morning is, Joshua, are you you working with me? I love my son. Isn't he wonderful? Say amen, Bailey. Okay. Do we want what God wants for us? And I want to challenge you this morning. It doesn't matter to me if you're 30, 40, 50, 60, or 90. God's not done with us till we die. And then He's got some work for us up in heaven to do. There are things that only you can do. There are places only you can go. There are places. I have, I have friends who, who have said to me, uh, we're going over here, but you can't go with us. 
why can't I go with you? Because you don't look like we look. And they were right. I got no business going over. I don't want, you know. Do we want what God wants? What if God says something today to us that makes us uncomfortable? I used to pray when I was a young preacher. And I would say, oh God, I want to preach. I want to do everything you want me to do, Lord, but please don't ask me to be a missionary. But I reckon if he had said go, I would have gone. Amen? What is it? Just bow your head right now and talk to God. What is it that's keeping you from accepting God's call on your life? I can tell you moving in God's anointing is not all work. There's joy. There's peace. There's also strife, danger, uncomfortableness, all kinds of issues. But the bottom line, with every head bowed and every eye closed, is this. Are you willing today to make the decision to do whatever God calls you to do? Are you willing today to step up and to say, I'm going to follow through on what God called me to do? It might have been years ago. It might have been 50 years ago. I've known people that went to the mission field in their 60s and 70s to fulfill the call of God on their life from when they were children. What is it God wants you to do? Now I'm going to ask you to do something weird, okay? Just keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. How many of you would say to your pastors, you know what? I could serve more than I'm serving now. I could do that. I know God wants me to help. It's just been so uncomfortable trying to get there. Folks, God wants to do great things with this place. I believe God wants to set this house on fire. Just, just let's just be honest and just... Lift your hand, if you will, and say, you know what? I need to do more than I'm doing now. Pastor, look at these hands. Keep your hands raised up. I need to do more than I'm doing now. Now, I'm not beating up on you. I love you. I understand. I literally ran from God for seven years. Did not stand behind the pulpit for seven years. Because I didn't want to do what God wanted me to do. Pastor, I want you to come stand right in front here. Is this okay? Now, if you have your hand raised, I want you to stand up and come stand in front of your pastor. Right now, hurry, hurry. We don't want, we got chicken ready to eat, folks. And man, I, I used to be a Baptist. I love chicken. Okay. Come on, right now. Just move out right now. 
Bless God. Bless God. Bless God. Somebody bless God. Bless God. Are, are you getting these people in your in your calculator? You see who's here? Huh? Look around. If they're willing to work, you got to be willing to put them to work. Part of being put to work is learning how to serve God. Would you just get up close to your pastor and just lay your hand on him? Can you do that? Those of you who can't, you can't get close enough, lay your hand on front of the person behind the person in front of you. Father, we stand together with this man of God. We stand together with with the, the, the pastor, the chief elder of this church. And we stand together and say, we are willing to do more than we have been doing. We are willing to accept the call of God on our lives to be used by God and to serve this church. We are willing to be uncomfortable. We are willing to do whatever needs done that it may glorify God and build this house. And everybody said, Amen.